Show the video real quick. made by Adrian with help, so thank you. <clears throat> okay. I, I love that we were talking about all the things in which we can praise God because there's no way that you can praise God like in a more amazing way than at MOVE because it's just a crazy time, people jumping around and yelling and it's it's insane, but we love it. Um, this year at Move, we focused a lot more than usual on like listening to the Holy Spirit, because Move is a time to be crazy, like I said. And so, instead of focusing more on the get up and go things, this year it was um, centered more on listening, like for what God is trying to communicate to you and that was really special because um, that's not something that I think about a lot and so our eyes were opened in that way I think um, one special thing that we did was called SELA it's an acronym for stop What's exhale listen ask and hear. So um, there's an app that CIY has that um, kind of walks you through those steps and it has music and all these things. So every morning we did Selah for about like 15-20 minutes um, and I think that quiet time with God makes a lot of difference in your relationship with him. So that was something significant to me. Yeah, so oh, there we go. Uh, I'm I'm a bit louder. I apologize. Uh, so yeah, like like Kara was saying, um, they actually have a, a they're doing a CIY in Ireland. So I know Skylar is going to Ireland, but it, she's going to to Northern Ireland, which will actually be like a mission field scenario that she's going to. But CIY for the first time ever is actually doing the conference in actual Ireland, and uh, so. There's a whole group of people that are getting to do that. Well, there's one guy. His name's Jasper, and he's done a bunch of videos for CIY. He's from Ireland, and he's the reason that they're actually doing this. 
he came to the States and was working with CRY and just made this simple statement, when do you guys allow the Holy Spirit to move? CRY is all about like the production and the, the you know, you have this amount of time to do this. And, and by this time, the next person will be coming out. And by this time, we'll be showing this impactful video. And, uh, and they're so scheduled out. And he just simply asked the question, when do you allow the spirit to move? And like Kara was, was mentioning, they really focused hard this year, much harder than ever before on the spirit, the spirit moving. And they actually allowed, it was supposed to be, like I don't see like five three minutes it was supposed to be like three minutes but really like it felt like at least ten that uh and and for some of us it felt like an eternity where it was just they they had no music playing there was nothing other than scripture just flashing on the screen and it was just silence for all 450 high school students plus with adults there's silence of us just sitting there listening waiting praying um, and it was a really impactful, impactful time. And, and it happened to allow a lot of great, honest conversations to come out of that. The one of the biggest one that we had was I didn't hear God, you know, like we, that was just like, the thing was like, like we didn't hear him. And, um, and so we got to have an, a great conversation as a group about maybe it wasn't audible. You know, maybe you didn't have the Elijah moment, which is who we focused on this week where it was just clearly God speaking, but, uh, but maybe you're a prodded to pray for something specific. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit was moving you to, to spray, pray for something specific, and, and that's God speaking to you. And, you know, we kind of had this really great time. So um, we're going we're gonna to continue hearing from other people. Uh, so I guess I'll be talking mainly about day three, or rather the night period. So, uh, well, we went in to Anderson, and I'm not going to lie, I mean— I wasn't really sure if I even wanted to go, but I did because thank dad, thanks dad, he he made me go, and I'm very glad for that. So um, the sermon was about First Kings chapter 19, and we were talking about how Elijah had just gotten through uh, setting the pillar on fire and killing all the 850 prophets, and so we're like, wow, what a terrible dude because he did all this, and then he's going around and running from one person. And so I realized, wow, I do that a lot too. And so it suddenly opened my eyes to like, you know, it's teaching us things in the Bible, but really we're guilty of it too. So it's really just like a reference of what not to do. And so uh, we he opened and, uh, well, no, I guess it was a girl. She opened and she was like, she came in and she stood here and she's just like staring at us. And so we're like, wow, that's not expected. And uh, so... Uh, there, she linked that to how God doesn't really talk to us how we'd like to sometimes, and he's like just sitting there listening to us, and that's what he does, and I feel like that's what we should do sometimes too. Just listen. And uh, he's, he's, he forgives us no matter what, you know. And so I guess I'm jumping around here. Um, so um, let's see, where am I at? So uh, all these 850 prophets, they were worshiping this guy named Baal, right? And so he's just an, a prop, no, an idol, sorry. And uh, so during the period of burning down this um, pillar, so they have their own, and they're all sitting here praying and saying, oh, come on, Bill, burn it down. And so over here, Elijah's just laughing and saying, is he sleeping? I mean, what's he doing? And so he ends up soaking his pillar with 12 
jars of water and I guess it's a lot of water and so he ends up burning it anyways and then when he does that he's so happy that he's like praying to God oh let's let, let this drought end and so he starts starts to rain and before that happens God carries him and he's running to this I think it's Beersheba maybe um, he runs there and he beats this guy that's on his carriage because God is carrying him and so he's like uh, he gets there, and he's hiding because this one person is threatening him. And so that really hit me because, like, a lot of us hide from one thing when there's, like, a lot of things that are positive, you know. And so uh, after that happened, they started this thing. They're like, there's five categories that, you know, hits us hardest. And so there's anger and loneliness and fear and shame and apathy. And I'm sitting here, and it's this quiet period that Jacob was talking about and Kara was talking about. And so he told us to just sit there, and we're not going to sing or do anything. Just sit there and listen. And so we sat there for a good 20 minutes. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm closing my eyes, and I'm starting to get upset because, like, I didn't think I was hearing anything. And so eventually I started crying, like, seriously weeping because I was so upset that I didn't feel like I was feeling anything. And eventually, like, I started hearing chairs like snapping because people were standing up and going and that just made me more upset because I felt like I was the only one and then like I started realizing that there was people around me that were crying also and that I wasn't the only one and that there was a lot of people going through the same thing that I was and so the song came on that we just sang this morning the yes I will and so let's see it was the one verse really hit me so I stood up and I started singing and it said yes I will worship you and my heart is heavy and so I noticed that I was becoming selfish and making it about myself rather than about God. And so I decided to just praise him instead of weep over my own, I don't know, my own dilemma. And so the entire youth group, was we were all singing, and most of us were crying. And while I was sitting there, before I had gotten up, I realized that there was people. They were standing around me. They were, they were praying. They were singing. They had their hands on my back supporting me, and everybody was supporting me. And I realized that, like, some of the people supporting me, they were, they were having it worse than I was. And I felt like I was being really, really selfish. And so uh, when we got into the room that night, we were all talking about how we had these issues that we all wanted to talk about. And so I'm like, all right, I'll start. And so I opened up. I told them pretty much everything that I've been hiding from everyone. And so I realized that I wasn't the only one. Like, everybody was doing the same thing almost. And all of us had gone through the same things, and we were struggling with the same topics. And so I guess we all kind of just prayed, and we all cried, and we all hugged each other. And then the next day, it was just an extreme amount of happiness because we were all like, we made it through that. What else can we make it through, you know? I'm going to focus more on day two. So, um, that's the saying for that day was, I can trust God will provide because he is real. So, when we walked into the evening session, we started out with some awesome worship, and then we were introduced to that night's speaker, Chris. During the beginning of his message, he told us a bit of his testimony. He said that when he was in eighth grade, he woke up, on Easter Sunday with this disease that caused his torso to be twisted permanently. 
So that affected his speech, his walking, some of his hands, and he was going over First Kings 17, where God was sending Elijah to all these places like, hey, you go here and I will provide food. You will go here and I will provide everything that you need. And so I guess when he was um, sharing his story and his struggle with this disease, how this changed his life forever, I guess it really made me understand that even though I don't really know what my future holds in Pittsburgh, I can trust God will provide because he is real. We grew so much closer during this trip, and that was because of you. Thank you for everything. All right. Well, like I said, the the trip was awesome, and, um, you know, it it sparked something that isn't going to just end here. So the title was To Be Continued, and uh, and that was kind of the mantra was uh, To Be Continued. And Elijah, they end Elijah's story by showing what it looks like for Elisha to come in and take over the rest of um, Elijah's story. Um, So it was a super confusing name uh, scenario, but but it was really eye-opening for us to that night where they started that transition was us being sent. And, uh, and so we, we were left with a, with a passionate send off, um, for the last two nights, the four and the five to idea, the knowing that we are sent. We're not, uh, we don't just float, uh, like jellyfish. Somebody said like jellyfish through the, the waters, you know, we, we have a purpose and, and that was what we were sent with. We, we are sent with the story that has been to be continued, for decades and uh, and will be you know for centuries and will be for millennia and so it's a it's a story that we were excited to come home and to know that we were sent um, with that so like like Kathleen said thank you guys again thank you guys so much for financially supporting these kids to be able to go on that trip and uh, and have this experience so um, but that is that is it for us so uh, community or uh, not wow Blah. scripture there's the words scripture reading. Yeah, right. Yes. Why do I talk sometimes? All right. Would you stand with us, please? on just a second let's try that again okay this microphone is temperamental so we're gonna do sarah's okay just hold that really straight like that i'll be reading revelations 22 20 through 21 he who is the faithful witness to all these things says yes i'm coming soon amen come lord jesus may the grace of the lord jesus be with god's holy people Thanks. You can be seated. And kids, you're dismissed to Children's Church, please. We are going to finish up our Last Words series and um, just talking about the last words of Jesus. When a lot of us think about the last words of Christ, we think about the seven words from the cross, but those really weren't his last words on this earth. He spoke a lot after the cross. Um, And before we get to that, can you grab those doors, Donna? Thank you. 
How many of you, upon leaving the house, if you've got kids at home or if you've got a spouse that likes to-do lists, you're, you're leaving the house for a day and you have this list of things that you want done before you get back, whether it's, you know, you're leaving for a day or two and you've got this list for, you've got this honeydew list, okay? Or you're going to be gone for the afternoon and your kids are home and you're like, okay, you guys, you can do whatever you want, but these things need to be done before we get back. You've got your to-do list. Now, there are different ways. Some people don't even... How many of you just don't even bother with to-do lists? Okay, I don't... Yeah, me neither. Don't care. I mean, it's up here maybe, if I remember. My, my wife's the list maker. She's like, are you writing that down? Okay. Yep, I'll write it down. Um, but different people deal with to-do lists in different ways. Some people are like on it. Okay, as soon as mom walks out the door, let's go. Let's get the dishes done. Let's fold that laundry. I'm going to clean up my room. So when I'm all done, I can do whatever I want as long as I want to do it. I just want to get all this out of the way. Those kind of people, the delayed gratification people, the disciplined ones, the ones that eat their vegetables before they get to the good stuff are those that just get her done. Those are the, that's the first category of the to-do list people. The second, maybe, are the ones that are measured, maybe paced. They have a schedule. They want to get stuff done before mom gets back, but they're not in any hurry to get it done, and they're going to time it just right so that last thing is just put away as she pulls in the driveway. Maybe we'll shoot for that, but I'm not going to kill myself to get it all done as soon as I can. I'll just get it done when I get to it. Then there are the people who are like, okay, she's gone. Let's go play. You know, let's relax first. Let's watch a season of something on Netflix. And then when I lose track, complete track of time and the day is almost over and then I panic. She's coming in 15 minutes. Oh my word, we haven't done a thing. We better get it done now. There are people like that. And then there are those that like, where's the list? What happened Oh, well, you know, and then they just leave and do whatever, and the list never gets done. You know who you are, don't you? We have a to-do list here, and it's not quite as measured as line by line, um, but amongst the parables of Jesus, there are, I found six, there might be more, but I found six that are of the same type. And I don't have them listed here, but you can find them all in the book of Matthew, all from chapter 20 to chapter 25. There's the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. There are, there's the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenant farmers. There's the one about the faithful versus the wicked servant. And then there maybe is... the. The label is the ten virgins, the bridesmaids, that five are they're irresponsible and five are responsible. And then there maybe is the most famous one, the parable of the talents, where you have the three servants. One gets a five and one gets two and the third one gets one measure of money. Six parables with a common storyline. Here it is. A person with some status or authority like a king or a master or a landowner or a business owner, has people under him, servants, employees, subjects, 
this person in authority gives resources and responsibilities and time for these people under his authority to do certain things, whether it's manage his resources, get stuff done on the farm, whatever it is. They've got their list of things that they need to get done before he comes back. They never know when he's coming. They don't have a time frame. They just have these responsibilities. The responses vary widely. The laborers work, but they fuss about their pay compared to the ones that are hired later in the day. The farmers rebel outright. They injure and even murder the servants that are sent to them by the landowner. The faithful servant is rewarded with more responsibility. The unfaithful servant is, and I quote, cut to pieces and assigned with the hypocrites. Yikes. Okay? Half the bridesmaids are prepared for the groom to come back. They're allowed entrance into the wedding feast. The other half are irresponsible, and they're left outside and not included. And two of the three servants that were given money got a 100% return on their investment, whereas the third servant was afraid, and he got nothing because he did nothing. That guy was punished, not for trying and failing, but for failing to try. It's clear to me that Jesus intended to leave. He intended to give something to do to his followers, and he said, I'm coming back. But I'm not telling you when, because I don't even know. It's also clear he, he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead. He did leave, just like he said he would. He's given us clear directions on what it is we should be about while we're waiting for him to return. Has he come back yet? No. So we're still left with this, not just waiting, but fulfilling what he's given us to do. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus, if you place your faith in him, if you've trusted him for forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, it would make sense that you and I would want to be aware of what he's asked us to do, and we would want to be all about doing those things because we really don't know when he's coming and when we need to give account for the time we've spent here. He didn't give us a list on a piece of paper, but he did give us life and a way to live. He did give us clear direction. There are things that are very specific, like love your neighbor, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, be generous, these things. But when we talk about specifically the last words of Jesus on this earth this narrows it down even further, and I'm finding that there are commonalities. What did he say to his people before he ascended to heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father? There are two passages, and then a third at the end. Two passages, and then we'll look at the very last words printed in red in the New Testament. The first is Matthew 28. Very familiar to a lot of us. Jesus said, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make what? Everybody, make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as you go, make disciples. Help other people follow in such ways as you follow. Help other people believe and have faith and grow as you have believed and have faith and have grown. Make other disciples who then make other disciples. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here we have a roadmap of making disciples. You're going to be my witnesses. You'll tell about me to other people as you go, not just here where you live, where you're comfortable, but also in that surrounding area that you don't go to very often and there are people there that you don't like very much. Go there, and as you pass that to the places where you can't even imagine going, go there too and talk about how you've followed Jesus and how others can do the same. So we're going to make disciples, and we're going with power that's not us to not just where we are, but extended further out. The last words Jesus spoke, and this is very simple. This, this is, you're not going to walk out of here going, man, I didn't know that. Okay? This is just basic, but it's foundational. And it flies in the face sometimes, honestly, of cultural Christianity in the Western world. Sometimes this flies in the face of how we do church. We're going to make disciples and we're going in with power. The last words Jesus spoke to his disciples, to all those who believed and followed him, included living, speaking, loving, and giving in such a way that the good news is gotten, it just reaches more people. The parables, he spoke repeatedly, emphasized obedience, faithfulness, loyalty while he was gone. An awareness that he's coming back. In those parables, the ones that stayed loyal, the ones that actually followed directions and gave themselves fully to the task were rewarded when the master returned. Those that ignored directions, those that flippantly did nothing or were totally irresponsible and worked negative um, directions were punished for their actions or their inactions. And the revelation of Jesus Christ, however confusing the imagery or the timing may be, clearly communicates that just as he left earth with all authority, he's coming back with all authority. There's a book um, called Spent Matches by Roy Moran that I've worked through and need to work through again. It was actually the template uh, for our connection groups. If you were involved with a connection group, you um, will recognize by, in this book 
their, the format of our meetings and how we just focused on the text, we focused on each other, we focused on what we discover out of this text and how we can live it out in the weeks to come. This is what Roy Moran says in Spent Matches. He says, Despite the hip, cool, culturally relevant methods that churches have employed, the fact remains that people who don't go to church don't like people who do. Now that's probably an overstatement, but it's relatively true. Um, He says, We've created a church culture that reeks of intolerance and self-righteousness. The truth seems to be that non-church-going people just don't like us. I believe Jesus wants to build his church, and he wants us to, to disciple the world. The reason we find ourselves in this predicament pertains to our ever-increasing desire to add complexity to the simplicity that Jesus left us with. It's clear throughout history, you don't always get disciples when you plant churches. But if you make disciple-making disciples, you'll always get the church as Jesus intended it to be. Did you catch that last part? You may not get disciples if you plant a church, but if you make disciples who then make disciples, you'll always get the church Jesus intended to be, for us to be. Now, that's, that's really where I'm landing. Um, I told Casey this was going to be shorter. Because really, I want to leave the words of Jesus to stand on their own. And I want to encourage all of us, especially in this last year, as, as I've gone through a personal journey of, of um, emphasis and in, in, in leading us into a phase that in, involves these smaller groups with the purpose of making disciples. I, I know that many of you who have been through these groups this last spring semester came away I mean, there's room for growth, there's room for improvement, but um, talking to the leaders, uh, you know, and, and those that hosted, we got a lot of really great um, conversation out of that. A lot of really wonderful time spent with, with each other, in the word, walking together in faith. My personal growth as a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher, has gone from this pressure that I largely put on myself to fill a church building, moving toward making disciples who will fill a church building. Do you see the difference? I think largely, in a lot of churches, the people who come and attend or even are involved see, oh, there's the staff people on the stage. They're the ones who do the lion's share. They're the ones who connect with newcomers. They're the ones who disciple. They're the ones who bring people in. I can't do that. I think that's the prevailing thought in a lot of Western churches. And I don't mean Western United States. I just mean the church in America. Whereas I really believe the biblical model is that there are pastors and teachers and elders and deacons, but everyone is to make disciples. Everyone is called to bring others to a knowledge of Jesus, to baptize, to teach them to obey. We're all called to do that. 
And so I'm confident in the faithfulness and grace of God toward his church. And because I know the character and the ability and the depth of the leadership here at Galesburg Christian Church and of you people, I'm confident that, and I know, whoever God wants to carry on in this role that I'm in right now, I know that you'll have a mindset of making disciples who make disciples. That you won't look at this person and say, well, that's his job to fill this place. He will look at you and say, I'm going to pour into you and you pour into everybody else that you see. And if you bring them to church, that's awesome. But take them to lunch. Bring them to your house. Invite them over to your kids' birthday parties. Show them Jesus. That's our calling. That is the great commission that we've all been given. And if the last words of Jesus mean anything, they mean this. He said in Revelation 22, I am coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Any time would be great. But until then, we've got a job to do. We have a job to do. Matthew 24 puts it very plainly. Starting with verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. <laughs> okay? For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions, but if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, he's not coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come in an hour, a day, when he does not expect, an hour he does not know, and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a hell, and people are going there. Unless we as his people make it really hard for them to do so. Will we be found faithfully living the life that doesn't really have to work hard to communicate the grace of God or the love of Jesus because it's just natural? Will we be found not worrying about when Jesus is coming? Do you know these people? They obsess over the time frame. 
all they can talk about is Bible prophecy. All they can talk about is the last days and, and Vladimir Putin and whoever else. I don't care. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I do care about is what I'm doing to prepare my, the people around me for his coming. Every generation has its Stalin or has its beast or has its Soviet leader or have his Antichrist. It doesn't matter. What are we doing to get ourselves and the people around us ready when that day comes? Are we making disciples? Are we raising our families? Are we working our jobs? Are we cultivating friendships that invite others to walk with us, with Christ, however imperfectly we do that? The last words of Christ, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. Go to your inner circle. Go outside your comfort zone. Go to the ends of the earth if you have to. Go because he's coming again. And go because it will not be well for you if you're found foolish or unfaithful. He didn't say, go and make sure you succeed. Go, just go. Wherever you're at, whomever you're with, love as you've been loved, forgive as you've been forgiven, show grace as grace has been handed to you through Christ, and be the church. Jesus, we give you praise and honor. Thank you for um, giving us our task. But first, thank you for giving us Yeah, now it does, of course, when I bump it, right? This meditation is uh, Ron-dependent, but it's both of our thoughts and discussions over the length of this time that we spent, and uh, you'll understand when I read it. I stepped out the back door. It was eerily quiet, except for the powerful roar off in the distance. I could only take one more step forward as I looked down and saw the muddy, pungent water, flood water encroaching my feet. Already seeping into our garage, the flood graph online predicted another foot to rise during the night. The roar of the river put off a sound comparable to a lion marking its territory in the jungle. Through the darkness, with the aid of the porch light, I caught glimpses of the seemingly miles of water outside our door. Eerie, frightening, overwhelming emotions consumed my mind verging on the edge of panic. Yet intermingled with that fear came about respect, reverence, and fear for a God that possessed such power. Not only do the wind and waves obey him, but also the continuing rise of the water. We had evacuated our furniture five days earlier, yet decided to stay in our home, sleeping on air mattresses, refusing to abandon ship until we saw it start to sink. 
The added rain from that day and in territories up north had added increasing volume to the already uncontained river. We were left, as we were so many, like so many others, in a holding pattern, waiting, watching, praying, hoping for the best but preparing for the worst. Just 12 years earlier, we had found ourselves in the same situation. One has to question during those moments what prompted us to set our home where we did. The 50-year flood that had happened years ago seemed like history that wouldn't involve our future. Twelve years ago, the blessing of a broken levees saved our home from being flooded, but it ended flooding the very area we had stored our furniture. The unpredictability of it all stirred up the reality of how much we really have control over. So here we stood, again, in the dark, water on the ground, rain in the forecast. future up in the air with a very likely chance that <clears throat> with a very likely chance that we, what we had started 20 years ago might have to be <clears throat> might have to be started all over again what did what did i <clears throat> what did i feel deep in my soul what do we truly own What do we truly stand to lose? What do I truly hold highest in my heart? Thoughts of gratitude began to fill my mind. My family had been so helpful during the whole ordeal, not only physically in helping with the three-hour evacuation, but the constant phone calls and texts checking on us. What a blessing. My friends and community were right there with them, helping with the move out, and now after the fact, helping with the move back in. Offerings of a place to stay, meals, encouragement, this was true community. Spoken about in the books of Acts. What a blessing. We were not alone. Also thankful for the relationship with my spouse. A situation that could have brought about irritability had actually brought us closer. The blessing of two of our former high school youth group students who had went out of their way to bring us a meal. One of them had lost everything in the flood of 2007, And although she was only seven at the time, her memories were still all too vivid. And the prayers. So many people praying for us and praying for our neighborhood. The words of encouragement kept our spirits going. I pause for a moment and thank God for all these blessings. Lastly, and most of all, that despite the foundation that our house was built on, and despite the fact that it probably could not withstand if the floodwaters rose, I knew that I had built my real foundation on Jesus Christ. I know that I can trust in his promises for now and in the future and all eternity. I know that he has walked beside us through all of this and will continue to do so in any of our future moments of water rising, no matter what that means or entails. I have felt his presence. I have felt his peace. I have felt his love. And we know that nothing can ever separate us from that love. Nothing. The takeaway is this. We take too many things for granted. People being one of the greatest on the list. Most important things aren't things kept in storage totes, but are kept stored in our hearts. And when the floodwaters rise, I have to remember the most important thing. The thing I'm grateful for the most. The one who walked on the water.
because he also was the one who walked up the hill to Calvary, to his place of death. Because he loves me so much, <clears throat> he gave me he gave his life for me. He gave us full access <clears throat> to approach the throne of God, the throne of his grace. Everything else is just details. So this morning, approach his throne, approach his love and forgiveness, and remember his body that was broken. Remember his blood that was shed, and have sweet communion with him. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for everything that you give us, but 